Looking to catch up on the latest Star Wars books? Try listening to them on audio, featuring sound effects and music directly from the movies. Star Wars audiobooks are the definitive listening experience. From brand new audiobooks such as Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire, and Star Wars Myths and Fables, to our blockbuster movie tie-in editions, you'll have plenty to keep you entertained. Start listening wherever audiobooks are sold. This is Andy Gutierrez from StarWars.com, and you are listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. This is the podcast you're looking for. This is James Arnold Taylor, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. Hmm, I have a good feeling about this. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kenobi, show number 302. We are your spoiler-free place for Star Wars discussion, analysis, and rhetoric. I'm your host, Dan Z, drinking One Nation coffee out of my Celebration Chicago coffee mug. I selected this mug because this is where I first saw footage of The Mandalorian, and we are full-on with an incredible amount of content for you regarding this very, very upcoming very, very upcoming. I guess I'm just excited, so I'm tongue-tied, so I'm just going to leave that in there. It's the new Disney streaming service Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. The trailer just aired about two weeks before we're going to actually see the show, and we are excited. Speaking of that Celebration Chicago coffee mug, I am, of course, drinking One Nation Coffee out of it, which is the official brew of coffee with Kenobi. For the best coffee in the galaxy, go to www.onenationcoffee.com. And sign up for a subscription service so you never miss out on the best coffee in the galaxy. Coffee with Kenobi is brought to you by MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. For all of your travel needs to plan your trip to Galaxy's Edge and the Disney theme parks, the cruise line, or anywhere you want to go on vacation, be sure to go to our affiliate link, which can be found in the show notes, on the front of our webpage, or on our Twitter feed, and sign up for a free, no-obligation quote. You'll have the best vacation possible and help out Coffee with Kenobi in the process. On today's show, you will hear on Coffee with Kenobi, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano, and Carl Withers. That's right, they're all going to be on Coffee with Kenobi. I was invited a couple of weeks ago to come to this incredible Disney Plus event in California, and I was not able to join them because of obligations with my day job and other things going on, so... Fortunately for me, my brother-in-law, Bill Thill, you've heard on the show many times before, he covered the Star Wars Resistance Season 1 media event for me. He offered to do this one as well. These incredibly talented people are on the show, thanks to Lucasfilm and my brother-in-law, Bill. First up is the press conference from the Disney Plus Mandalorian event, so we're going to go ahead with that, and then we're going to bring you a roundtable that John Favreau and Dave Filoni were a part of, and then a separate one with Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano, and Carl Weathers. Bill Thill was there, as I said, to cover this for Coffee with Kenobi and get us this great content, as were a number of your favorite Star Wars bloggers and journalists and podcasters. You will definitely recognize some of their voices. It's going to be so much fun. But enough from me. Let's dive into The Mandalorian. I feel like it's not appropriate to start without acknowledging a birthday that we have here. <laughs> Happy birthday, John Favreau. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Is that commitment or what? <laughs> My family's waiting for me at home, but I'm happy to be here. Well, what better way to celebrate, Exactly. Right? Living your dreams, of course. Dreams. Okay, this is our first live-action Star Wars television show. 
Can you guys talk a little bit about what is so appealing about that to you guys? For, for, for me, uh, it's, how should I put it, there's, as somebody who grew up with Star Wars and, and uh, really having been formed around what I experienced when I was little with the first film, there was some aesthetic to it that I that I really uh, that I really gravitated to, and my whole taste in movies was probably formed in a big way from seeing George Lucas's original film, and and I learned about cinema through through the lens of that film because my father would explain to me, no, that's you know this is this is a lot like samurai movies or this is a lot like westerns or World War II films, and so that became. Uh, my, my inroad, and then there was the whole uh, power of myth with Joseph Campbell and, and Bill Moyers that was filmed up at the ranch, and that opened me up to the mythic structure and the monomyth and, and my understanding of mythology and storytelling. And so to come back and return to this with the freedom that this new platform affords, because there's nothing to compare it to, nothing has been on TV other than the uh, holiday special. And, 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 um, and, and the, the idea of telling a story over more than just a couple of hours, told every few years, opens us up to this uh, novelization of story and a return back to the roots in many ways of the Saturday afternoon serial films that my parents' generation grew up with, with cliffhangers, adventure, and th those uh, drawing from that type of stylish storytelling lends itself really well to what we're what we're tackling here, and so there's also a, 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 you know it, it's fun not to have a preciousness in the way we're telling the stories because you know we have we're coming back to you next week with another one, and so uh, to engage the the audience in the way that I enjoy being engaged with the shows with the the films the, the shows specifically what BBC had done on the streaming services where it's bigger budget, it, it has a lot of the qualities and, and aesthetics of a film, but the novelization of, of a serialized uh, storytelling, to me that's where it really opened up a lot of freedom and opportunity where we don't feel that we're repeating or copying anything uh, else that people have experienced from Star Wars. Do you have anything to add to that? No, it's exciting for me because I can be a part of it, so. <laughs> so it's really relevant. I mean, I, I just found the whole thing exciting. I think as a kid growing up, you watch Star Wars, you think I would watch this every week. And as television got more and more into genre over the years, and like I remember when Star Trek Next Generation came out and the promise of better, better visual effects on television, and it took big leaps. And you know, as somebody that's always been into fantasy science fiction, you were always waiting for a moment where you thought that what the images on television were as good as what we were seeing in the theater, but there was a big separation on it as a kid. And now, I think it's gotten so close, and you know, it's one of the things I think we can make something like Star Wars because technology has advanced, and it's that's one of the dreams of, that George had. Uh, even when I worked with him on Clone Wars, he would talk about um, the future being streaming, the future being uh, episodic, serialized uh, Star Wars, because like you said, it's what influenced him, so yeah. Uh, and it is cool to, to get to help make it, so I like that. When I tell you I cried for that footage, I'm being dead serious. I mean, oh, really? Yes. Well, it's the first time people are seeing anything. We saw 27 minutes. Yes. Wow. 
and we compile. We wanted to compile uh, little bits from different episodes mm -hmm. because I think also part of what's fun about this is that, and with this new service, is that everybody, wherever they are, if they have this service, they're they're seeing it first, you know. And and uh, it's nice to be able to show stuff to people to understand what it is, so you can talk about it and and um, and you know, kind of cut through all of the, the how crowded. The marketplace is with so many stories and so many services. Uh, so it's nice to have everybody here uh, to react to it, which is which is really helpful in getting the word out. But it's also nice to have people uh, to be able to be everybody to experience something at the same time, which is what I really loved about watching my Game of Thrones, is that there's a sense of what's going to happen this this week, and and the idea that it's not uh, cascading down. Now, of course, the service isn't available everywhere yet. Hopefully, that's going to that's going to um, be you know over as it as it rolls out. Hopefully, everybody around the world will be able to have that same experience. But for us, there's a really fun dialogue that we're looking forward to that we usually normally get only at the conventions, where you get to show it, people get to react, and then you get to talk about it, and it gets us excited as filmmakers, and then that dialogue uh, unfolds over the course of and, and I'm happy it's being released. Uh, you know, at, at a rhythm, uh, because it, it gives us a chance. Although we, we're not able to react in what we're doing, because all those episodes are done, it certainly will inform what we're doing the second season, which we're actually in, in first week. First week of the second season is under our belt, and and our cast. When you see them, especially Pedro, might be a little tired. Uh, he was there. He was there last night. Should we bring out this this tired cast? Are they here? Yes. Please welcome Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano, and Carl Weathers. I knew what I did. <laughs> did you did you, did you get some sleep or just power through? Power Okay, good. I'll sleep here. Hello. Welcome to the party. Okay. Now, looking at this footage, I'm going to keep mentioning how unbelievable it was. I, I can't imagine what it was like for you guys on set. What was the moment you realized, I'm, I'm truly in the Star Wars universe? Pedro, what was it for you? Well, putting the helmet on, for sure, um, which they had handed in our first meeting. Um, and uh, to see if it would fit, it fit uh, perfectly. And, um, and, 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 and I guess, you know, very simply, trying to costume on for the first time and looking in the mirror. <laughs> you can't see very well through the helmet, but um, but I, 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 I got I got a pretty clear impression. Um, and if you grow up, you know, playing with Star Wars toys and obviously seeing these movies, and then you're staring at yourself, and 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 and, and, and you are the the image of 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 that kind of childhood imagination. It's a a, a super pinch me moment. Uh, quote me exactly. Super. <laughs> Is that a hashtag? Super pinch. Hashtag super pinch. Yeah. I think for for me, it was my first day on set. Um, seeing the whole costume come together, and um, John and Dave came, and you know, they made such a, a big deal out of, oh my gosh, look how great you look. And I was like, this is really great, but then I saw them did it to everybody, and I was like, oh, you do that to everyone I <laughs> But it, it really honestly was one of my, my favorite uh, unforgettable moments, being on set, seeing the 
the other cast members, but be it behind a helmet or a creature or or this one. Um, what is this one? <laughs> and then, um, actually, my first day on set, I was on a, a blur. <laughs> So I was up on this uh, this big thing, and I was just like, okay, this is this is it. This is, this is my life now. <laughs> so it was incredible. Oh, and and John did John did sort of a slow roll on me. It's like it's like uh, okay, I've got this thing that uh, I want want to talk to you about, and okay. And first of all, I mean, I met John, so. We had a lot of interaction, even though it wasn't like really personal, personal stuff. But we had a lot of interaction, and I really admired him, and I'm, I'm sincere about that. I really admired him because this guy is super smart, ridiculously smart, about much more than just making movies. So that was number one. So I'm fascinated, and I'm saying, okay, that those are the kind of people I want to be around and know, so I can maybe like grab grab something that he's got that I really admire. Oh, by the way. I don't know if you folks know this. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Today is the day. Happy birthday. Big We're so glad. Big 3 0. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> We're so glad that it happened that you came along so we could get a chance to celebrate with you. But anyway, you know, the, the thing is, when, when, when we finally had the meeting about it, and uh, not unlike Pedro tells us story, when you walk into that room, the conference room, and all this art is on the walls. And he is so passionate about it all, and it's all magnificent. I mean, it is some of the most beautiful artwork you could ever see. If you were a collector, you want to go through and take pieces off the wall because it's that beautiful. And then started telling me basically what this was, a little about this character. And it's like, are you kidding me? I'm working on something that Disney is going to be behind. I'm working on something that John Favreau is like marshalling through. And I'm working on a Star Wars kind of invention, and then I get a chance to meet Dave Filoni, and now it's like, oh shit, we're in good hands. We're <laughs> in really good hands. So that that was my introduction, and, and I'm happy to be a part of it. We really did rope him in. This is he's not kidding. It started off with, hey, maybe you'll do. Uh, 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 there were yes, two episodes, <laughs> and then it turned into, you know, no, we really like your character. I know this, you know, we're talking about this, but I'm I'm, I'm writing the last, you know, so I don't want to say too much but but we worked him in a lot into the show more than he agreed to and now in season two he's he's a part of our, our director's uh, uh brigade so he's doing good. I, got, I got him through the, through the director's guild so he actually met as of course i was a fan of his acting but but he's been more directing lately uh so that's been fun so this whole uh this whole high-tech innovative set that we've developed for these specific stories but by Carl being there and being part of it and seeing how we were putting this together and experimenting with it and seeing it all come together he was perfectly uh, qualified he understood the story understood the characters the, the cast and the technology and so it's really fun to be working with Carl now on uh, on, on storytelling but, but you know I, I gotta hit the ball back because Honestly, I don't think it would have happened with a lot of people. John promised last year when I agreed to do this, because he knows I wanted to direct more and more, that if they got a second season, that he'd give me a shot. And I gotta tell you, I've been around enough to know that people don't always keep their words, you know? And it was like, absolutely, I'm in. So, you know, being a part of this, though, again, is, is one of the greatest things that's happened in all the years I've been involved in, 
you know, in entertainment, so it's cool. It's cool. Director's there are a lot of things that you guys have pulled in. Um, I don't want to mess anybody, so Bryce Alice Howard, Michael with TV, Dave Filoni. I mean, can you talk a little bit about what their contributions are? And, and, and it's Dave's first time directing live action. Long overdue. Uh, uh, Rick Fanny Yula also did a, a couple for us. And don't forget Deborah Chow. And Deb Chow, of course. She's a uh, Chow who's going on now to, to do the Obi Wan Kenobi show. She's a so she came into store. So this is really you're going to see, I think, a lot of people that are working in this incubator of story and technology and um, and star. You know, really uh, people who got together because they love Star Wars and this, I think, uh, enthusiasm that seems to be very contagious. Not just with the people on the couch here, but the artwork he's talking about. You know, that's uh, Doug Chang, who's been part of a lot of people who came up through the ranks over the years since the prequels, and uh, and all of them slowly, like Tom Sawyer, coming together to pen paint the fence. And there's this real enthusiasm that's very organic as we're telling the stories, and it's a very collaborative environment. You know, um, we we talk a lot about story, and and I write uh, uh, most of it, but. That's just a jumping off point for the directors to be very involved, very collaborative, and all the people who are involved, whether it's ILM or Lucasfilm or within the cast of Mandalorian, uh, and so it becomes this really fun collaborative thing that uh, takes on its own life and own personality, and I think you'll see with each of the directors, that, uh, unlike a lot of television, the directors are really being given an opportunity to have authorship over it as though it were so it's been very exciting for us to have that kind of environment to come to work to every day. Yeah. And John, you posted a photo of, of George Lucas and yourself on set. Can you talk about that experience? Who was on set that day? What did you talk about? Did you drink the wine? Uh, we, did, we didn't drink the wine that day. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever drink that wine. It's right on the mantle from Skywalker. Uh, but uh, Carl was there that day. I think Gina was there that day. I know for sure. I know for sure this guy was there because um, I met Dave because I was up at the ranch mixing Iron Man and he was secretly working with George on Clone Wars before anybody had ever heard of it. And I showed him Iron Man. He showed me Clone Wars. I was like, if you ever need a voice on this, I'd love to do it, which turned into me playing a Mandalorian named Tree Vizsla on his, on his show. But what's so nice is that George had worked with him for, what, 10, 10 years? And so they had worked together. So a lot of what's wonderful about working with Dave is that, that continuity of vision. And I know George really, I think, came by more to see, you know, he came with Kathy, because they have a, 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 you know, a long-standing relationship. But the thing that really stood out, and he didn't say it in front of Dave, but I guess he didn't want to embarrass him, but he was very, I could see that he was very proud of that he, Dave was getting on the next step because when George discovered Dave, Dave was just an animator that he brought in. I'm sure you've heard the story or he'll tell it where he didn't even, he thought it was a joke that his friends were, were pulling a prank on him. And then after he met with George, George said, do you want to run this show? And so it's been a long relationship in understanding filmmaking, understanding Star Wars, and now as we get into live action, to take the next step. So I think that's a big reason he was there was because uh, he was wanting to make sure I was, uh, I think, 
continuing uh, the, Dave's uh, uh, journey with him. Uh, and and it was, I thought it was very, very, uh, it was very, uh, it felt very special, you know, very, very special um, day. Well, Dave, you've been excellent about pulling kind of beloved characters into the curse words Star Wars canon. Is there anyone that maybe we could be looking out for in the Mandalorian that you could teach us? Uh, no. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no. blame me for trying. Yeah, no, I, I, I come to Dave like this expecting it, and, and I always feel the same. It'd be terrible to learn about anything, to, you know, here now rather than watching it. That's really the most organic uh, moment, and everybody will be excited. I mean, I don't know, this has been a real special thing for me. It's something that I really, doing live action, I became interested in it uh, from working with George and the way that he talked about. Uh, how we should shoot uh, Clone Wars. And he would always speak in live action terms. So the terminology was always around, and I didn't always understand how to apply it over the years, though. I got a little better with it. And he's so steeped in technology, George, uh, and pushing technology, uh, previous systems, stuff like that on Clone Wars, that it just became a part of the language of filmmaking for me as well. And working with John is really natural. It kind of continues that because he's very forward thinking with technology and using. Uh, tools to help enable greater storytelling. And I saw that, you know, Jungle Book just incredibly, uh, so very inspirationally and uh, with the work that he's done in Lion King and whatnot. So for me, um, it was a great opportunity to work with somebody that kind of works in a, a, a similar way, but I could really be challenged. And uh, John has challenged me, I will say that, uh, creatively, storytelling-wise. And you need that sharpening. You need to improve and, and continue uh, a legacy of being, you know, frankly, being mentored. I see it as very Star Wars, this whole path for me. I've had a, a couple mentors now. I'm very privileged to have the ones that I've had. Uh, and I think my storytelling is definitely even better for John, uh, you know, taking me in and uh, showing me the ropes of uh, doing uh, live action and uh, just my own writing. And it's, uh, you know, I, I say this, it's affected Clone Wars in the greatest way possible for what I've uh, done on that series. I've improved it, uh, I think, in the storytelling thanks to this experience work I've been exploring. But is there any, you know, surprises? I mean, there are always surprises. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what made you cry any more than I would know what might surprise you. The so. Life Day reference really got me. So. Oh, look at that. See, that, that got you. That surprises me. So, you know, I don't know. Well, it's always a wait and see in, in the best possible way. Well, I think at this point we're going to open it up to uh, the audience here, and uh, we've got a couple mics going around. I saw your hand first, so I think we'll we'll start here. Hi, congrats, guys! That looked amazing. Thank you um, for John and Dave. Um, you mentioned Taika Waititi. Uh, he's obviously also voicing a character in the show. Can you talk about uh, what he brings to the show and what it's like to work with him? Well, you know, when you bring in a director like Taika, that he's clearly doing it because he wants to, because the guy is uh, just such a, a powerhouse right now, creatively, and I think everybody's really discovering what a talent he is. People who follow comedy knew about him long ago, or independent film, and now he's just, uh, he's really enjoying a, a wonderful run. Um, and so when he shows up, it gets everybody excited, because it's a fresh energy on the set. He finds opportunities for humor. He brings his style of humor to it, but he also is a fan. And that was, that to, to me, that was the bottom line uh, prerequisite. You didn't have to be the most experienced. You didn't have to have worked on Star Wars before. 
you didn't even have to have ever directed live action before. We had a few people, as, as you said, that hadn't done that. The thing was that you had to be willing to uh, collaborate. You had to love Star Wars, and you had to want to do. You want. You had to want to do something great and help invent this new thing. And to have Taika in there as somebody who was a you know battle-hardened veteran who could come in and just has tremendous instincts and to work with the actors uh, and to bring that for me uh, you know to just be able to work with him I had known him for a while and from the Marvel world we had been sharing experiences that we had had but to actually be on the set and to witness what he did was was tremendous and then and then to have him play the do the voice of uh, IG11 and bring that specific tone to that character but also the tone to what he directed was fantastic I'm grateful to you for that uh, first of all congratulations on the show the footage was awesome uh, I'm curious, the making of the first season of any show, you're learning the infrastructure of how to put it together, what you can accomplish in the time frame, et cetera, et cetera. For each of you guys, um, what did you learn making season one that you are now putting into season two? And uh, when will you announce the other directors of season two? <clears throat> well, I, I learned a tremendous amount every day. And I, I, I think for me, one of the things is, I, I mean, I was on set every day the whole season, so I learned watching every single one of our directors, I learned watching our great cast, uh, everyone behind the scenes. I treat it as, you know, boot camp for me to learn this type of filmmaking, but then I tried to offer the knowledge that I've been passed on to me by George for Star Wars things and just the way that he liked to shoot things, but uh, it definitely has affected the way I look at, uh, you know, a day, what can I accomplish in a day? That's a big difference for me, filmmaking-wise. We arrived on a back lot, and DP Craig's like, well, the sun's up, we gotta get going. I'm like, oh, right, because it's gonna go down. Animation, <laughs> we don't really have that problem. <laughs> so, you know, you're getting on six o'clock, and everyone's getting squirrely, and you're like, the sun's going down, the sun's going down, I'm like, right. Then we're screwed. <laughs> so the whole set's gone down. So there, there's a bunch of very tangible things that are going to happen, and you know, uh, it's I love having this experience and knowing the difference between animation. There are advantages and disadvantages to each one. I don't, frankly, at this point, prefer one or the other. I like both experiences, and they're both unique. But I do love, um, and I've talked with Kathy quite a bit about this as she's asked me the differences that I've experienced. There's something about the concrete nature of live action. It's incredibly spontaneous. It's going to happen right there in the moment, and then that's it. Where I can tweak a, a tiny eyebrow or a tiny smirk or give a soaker just a little bit of a push in a direction that will dramatically change the character. You have to get all these variables to kind of come together and be aware of it. Uh, and it's not like you're controlling any of it as much as you're guiding it. And you know, John would, would stand with me and speak this. You know, you're looking at everything all at once. We're in animation, it's like a recipe that I can keep adding on grease. And you have a lot of flexibility, thank God, in digital and in post, we can do a lot. But capturing that moment right in front of you, is, I think the real magic of it all, and something that I've been uh, craving to try. And luckily we have an incredible crew uh, and cast that can capture those moments, as hopefully you saw in the footage. But yeah, that's what I learned uh, 
Uh, what about the directors of season two? Are we talking about that? Maybe there's another one, maybe there's another one. <laughs> there's a new person too that hasn't been announced yet who was working last night. Um, so that's all I can say. Just so you know, like even for the strongest people or agile ones, um, so none of it can get done without the incredible stunt work. I mean, especially uh, what, did, what did you guys see today? Like 27 minutes or something? Yeah. You saw like the whole clip. Uh, you have no idea the amount of um, star power from every department that goes into making something like this. Um, from you know, the person that is like, you know, working on the shine of my shoulder to the person who built the entire ship that, that we're shooting on or the whole set. It's it's I've 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 seen some I've I've seen some I've seen some pretty big shit and I haven't seen anything like this. And so um, yeah, there's stunts, thank God. <laughs> I do my own stunts. <laughs> I have never in all my years had a stunt person do anything. <laughs> Just because, here, here's the thing, I, I, I wanted to, to have it, we're starting with new characters, right? Everybody, or there's all sorts of conjecture, is this really, when he, is it, is it, is it going to really reveal that it's Boba Fett all along? Is it a character we already know? 
we wanted to start fresh with a whole new uh, group of uh, a whole new, a whole new set of characters that you never met before. Uh, and, and what's nice about that, it's like it reminds me of when we were starting with Iron Man. So for new fans, the, you know, these were new characters, new actors, and a, and a new world. And, and, and actually, even the MCU in that version of it was new. So it was a really nice entry point for people who wanted, who didn't know anything about Marvel before and just wanted to see a movie and they liked the actors that were in it. And we assumed that you didn't know anything and so we taught you, introduced you to everybody. And, but by the same token, the foundation of all of genre is, or the fans that have been there since the beginning and the people who grew up with it. And so how do you balance those two things at the same time? And, and I think for much of the time with superhero films, there was a, there was the notion going back, you know, decades that the fans will be there anyway. Just make it as approachable and, and accessible as you can to the general audience. But I think that's changed a lot. And I think that Kevin Feige and, and Avi Rod and all the people who started off with with the MCU, I think, smartly realized was no, those are your fans. That's who's been there along build out from the grassroots, so never lose touch with the people who've put in the time and who've cared. And so there are ways that even though we have new characters in it and you could jump in because it's chapter one, we wanted to make sure that if you were watching and you knew about it, and this is where Dave has really been a treasure trove because we, we tried to effort to work stuff in, whether it's humorously, like making a reference to Life Day, or a reference to a prop that has been um, has been uh, appreciated by a core group uh, over time, just putting those little Easter eggs in, or big movements in the story that reflect storylines in, in either the legends or in canon <coughs> that people have known and had, um, and, and by the way, all of the animated um, content that, had, that Dave's been working on, how do you weave all of it together so that you don't have these divided, segmented parts of the, you know, of the audience, but you could start to bring it all together and coalesce it in a way that creates an overarching narrative and rewards the people who've been putting the time in over the years since they were kids growing up with it. So that's where, I mean, it's a sort of a long-winded answer of why I snuck a Life Day joke in there. Uh, but. But that those were things that, and some of it was when I would write and want to see if Dave caught it and see what his reaction would be. And he has, and he had veto power over everything. And he's talking about like he's learning from me, but I'm learning uh, just as much from him. And just tuning in on what is what is too far, where could we push it, what are things that hadn't been addressed? Do you want to? Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's very fun. Like I would love. John would write these scripts, turn them around. We would talk, sometimes because I'd be in San Francisco, we'd be on the phone, and we'd just start rallying and come up with a whole plot for an episode. Could you not on the phone? And he's like, oh, okay, it's in my head. I gotta go, I gotta go, boom. Okay. And then like a day later, here, read this. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a script now. And it was cool. I mean, it was really fun, and it's fun reading you know, John's take on Star Wars, and I would read something like, oh, I see the holiday special back. <laughs> I give him a hard time about it, you know, because... Well, it happened. I, I mean, it's, it's there. About, right, yeah. <laughs> it's a long way of saying you really like the holiday special, and I've accepted that, and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We know you have the 
have gotten in the show because you liked it and you wanted to have it. And now it's in your office. And I get that. Like, I have never experienced that before. Like, you say, I want to design this, I'm going to have this. And then someone literally makes it, walks up to you, and hands it to you. I haven't had that in animation. That's amazing, That's by the, the way. That's the thing, is you write it, or we do it, and, and then you know, Chang and all the artists, yeah. the wall of artwork, and by the way, yeah. that artwork will be worked into, um, we're trying to let everybody see that artwork, let's put it yeah, that way. Cool. Um, uh, but the artwork is the thing that makes the show, you know, the art, you know, I'll write something and then give it to them, and then by the time it goes through the Play-Doh Fun Factory, between <laughs> <laughs> him and Doug Chang and yeah. film and ILM, I see these beautiful images, and it's like you're, and then you just write more. And yeah, you get excited. And sometimes I'll even give just some pages to them, have them draw, and then I say, what did they draw? And I start writing, I start writing things that are, are uh, impacted by that, that. That's what I mean by a, a collaborative environment that this allows well, for. Well, sometimes I react to your stuff. I remember it's like how George would react to what I would write at the beginning. And he'd be like, okay, <laughs> here we go. And then I could give you, I teach you the ways of the force a little bit. And I, and I, what I'm there for, that's what I use that. And, it's, it's and, then I'm the, and then I'm the apprentice. So yeah. it, that's, what's, that's what's been really uh, great about it. And there is a discipline about it of yeah. like, let's make sure that we are authentic, authentic, disciplined, cohesive, and that no matter where you're coming from and what your background in Star Wars, you know that what we're doing is not being done. Um, it's being done out of we've really deliberated over it and discussed it and thought, thought it through. And so if we depart in any way, it's, it's, it, we know we are, and if we, but it's with a plan. And then part of it also is, what's the big arc? You know, that's the other thing. That's the fun thing, is the plan, and, and like there are some things where I'm like, oh, I wonder if people are gonna think of this. But then we think about what you're gonna think about it, and then we, <laughs> <laughs> and then we're like, okay, then we'll see. Because you might know this move, but you don't know that move, and that's just the fun part, especially in series. Yes. We can make that work uh, even better. We can create a dialogue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But just the feedback, honestly, that you've all seen footage is really exciting. Uh, very exciting for us because that's really the other hand. It's, 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 it's media, so it is a communication tool between us and you and back again. And that's part of what we're uh, getting excited for. This is Vanessa Marshall, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. Looking to catch up on the latest Star Wars books? Try listening to them on audio, featuring sound effects, top-notch narrators, and music directly from the movies. Star Wars audiobooks are the definitive listening experience. From Luke Skywalker to Kylo Ren to Admiral Akbar, you'll recognize all of your favorite characters. Listen to brand new stories in the Star Wars universe like Thrawn Treason by Timothy Zahn. Can't make it to Galaxy's Edge this year? Just listen to Galaxy's Edge Black Spire by Delilah S. Dawson, and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate, by Zareta Cordova. With Star Wars audiobooks, you'll have plenty of Star Wars listening to keep you entertained. Available wherever audiobooks are sold. Speaking of Galaxy's Edge, I want to recommend for you MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Their signature service and expert advice will help clients maximize their vacation time and dollar. Their no-cost, no-obligation quote when you use the service is totally amazing. It's helped me a lot. And they also proactively adjust a booking if the rate goes down. So they're going to save you some money as well. So they're going to save you money and they're going to help your family enjoy everything Galaxy's Edge and the Disney theme parks and the cruise lines have to offer. Seriously, they're going to plan every detail for you, help you all along the way and can share invaluable tips. 
Be sure to go to our affiliate link, which can be found in the show notes on the front of our webpage or on our Twitter feed and sign up for a free, no obligation quote. You'll have the best vacation possible and help out coffee with Kenobi in the process. It is Patreon time. Time to thank all of the amazing Patreon contributors to Coffee with Kenobi who helped do so much for our show. And I'd like to thank Jason Hall, Dennis Keithley, Adam Bankhurst, David Nicely, Jeff Ellis, Colby Mead, Yancey Evans, Ross Halliban, Frank Mulder, Alexander Moylan, Melinda Wolf, Aaron Harris, Chris Kavarka, Angela Sauce, Brett Luckfield, Alex Procaccio, Tim Van Swole, Ian Thompson, Rebecca Raven, Simbot Deftadarian, Christine Turk, Sean Reed, Kurt McKellen, Dan Ream, Brian Harding, Blake Weaver, Jim Capron, Caroline Maselli, Chris Metz, LJ Souter, Thea Selby, Daz Davies, Christian Dale, Brian McKinney, Jared Cantor, BJ Smith, Eric Struthers, Nick Deco, and Mark Suter. Thanks to these wonderful people, Coffee with Kenobi is able to grow and expand in ways I never thought possible when I first started the show over six years ago. Because of their contributions, we're able to keep the lights on in the studio, keep the coaxium going in the hyperdrive, add to our equipment, arrange for our travel, do so many other things behind the scenes. There's a lot that goes into making coffee with Kenobi, not only the production and the editing and the recording, but just so many other countless hours go into it. And thanks to you, you helped to make it so much easier for me and my family, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But you get something out of it as well. For $5 or more a month, you get access to CWK Pourover, which is our weekly podcast not heard anywhere else, hosted by myself, Corey Club and Tom Gross, in which we talk about different popular culture topics, things going on in our lives, behind the scenes in the show. Heck, last week we talked about the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago Bears. Now, that's not everybody's favorite topic necessarily, unless you're an Illinois native or just a big Chicago sports fan, but that's just kind of where the mood hit us. That's where we took the conversation. We also spent a lot of time on the Joker movie. We certainly talk a lot about the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and of course, lots and lots of Star Wars Often when we go on these trips, we will give you exclusive behind-the-scenes of what goes on to covering these events and seeing these new Star Wars things. And I got to tell you, next week's Coffee with Kenobi is going to be an amazing one. I'm going to give a Patreon on that one soon on CWK Portal, where I talk about what into making this particular thing happen. I can't say too much because I don't want to give away the excitement. More on that at the end of today's Coffee with Kenobi, show number 302, which you're hearing now. Patreon is an incredible part of what goes into making coffee with Kenobi. If you have any questions and want to be a part of that, please go to www.patreon.com slash coffee with Kenobi or email me, danzy at coffee with Kenobi.com, and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you so much for your consideration. I love the shirt. Thank you. I have the same one. I made this poster. Oh, do you did? Oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, wow. I ordered the shirt from you. Very cool. <laughs> okay, so I did. Hey. Hello, everyone. Hi. How are we doing? Can you do like an Thank you. Are we just starting? I think, um, I think, I think we just started. Just started. Oh, just started. Just started. We have to lock you in. Hold on. We have to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Haunted Mansion. Poor Cullis. I'll just jump in. Uh, the two, the two things George Lucas is known for in his filmmaking, I think more than anything, is his beard. Lot, 
his beard. <laughs> Faster, more intense. No, homage to classic cinema yes. and pushing technology forward. Yes. In the footage that we saw, obviously you're pushing technology forward, and I'm wondering if you can talk about that. And homages to, to classic. There's a lot of like Yojimbo and yes. Mammoth No Name and yes. Hamilton Cub. And, yes. Um, so if you could talk about the marriage of classic cinema and the new technology you're using, I would appreciate that. Um, so, so it's part of what we set out to do here was to not just be influenced by Star Wars, but to be influenced by what Star, by what George was influenced by in putting Star Wars together. Because it, it I think, to some people who don't have um, a relationship with with the stories closely, it just feels like sci-fi. But really, there's a classicism to it, and uh, in some ways, there are things that I've observed as a filmmaker who's learned from other filmmakers and then there's an understanding that Dave has from actually being mentored by him so there are other rules that are a subset of what came before but it, it, it has occurred to me as I've been putting stories together it's an interesting and if this gets too specific uh, I'm, I'm sorry but you asked so I'll no, this Let is you know the crowd for Okay, good. So the deep dive I kind of made was that there's an interesting thing that my generation we're Gen X and we were reacting to uh, the boomers, which is George's generation, the baby boomers, reflecting on what the greatest generation of the World War II generation. So, so they were. So, so George grew up on on the on the um, John Wayne type films, and 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 then there was some of the Kurosawa films too, the samurai films, uh, westerns, uh, World War II movies. But there was definitely a sense of um, there was definitely an innocence and an adventurous quality to the films that he grew up with with a definite code of what, who's right and who's wrong and that was what he grew up with. Then his generation flipped it a bit with the subversiveness of the 70s and so there was a, a, on the one hand a respect for the films he grew up with but then there was a twist on it and then my generation was being presented with that view through the lens of George and now, now we're telling stories for Millennials and also the younger generation uh, that's coming after that, and so it's interesting because now we're a reflection of of so now it's three generations deep of what's going on there, and so we really efforted not to make it uh, a reflection of what we interpreted Star Wars to be, but instead to go back to the source code and look at the films that influenced George and look at the films that influence. And I've been lucky enough to work with Steven Spielberg as well, and they're all, and, and Ron Howard I, I know, and then Ron Howard, of course, as Bryce is working, you know, of getting in the heads of the people who were there in that generation and learning about John Ford, which I was able to do years ago through Steven screening it for me when I was working with him. And so looking at those films uh, of Kurosawa, Ford, um, Leone, through the eyes of the gener of that generation and then trying to channel that as best we could. Now, of course, we're going to always put our spin because, you, you know, filmmakers, cast, writers are always going to bring their thing into it. But we always made sure that, although there was some individuality that came to it, that we adhered to something that had structure and respect for what came before. Good? Well, yeah. That's a big, <laughs> big answer. And we're out of time. Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> with, with that said, we're obviously you know at an end of an era now with the rise of Skywalker and then a birth of something new with the Mandalorian. 
Or how do you see fandom changing from here on out in terms of <laughs> episodic television and stuff like that? I don't know. Fandom changing. I don't know. Fandom... I think what we, as creatives, give to fans and, and, and what we think they want, that probably changes. I don't know if being a fan changes. Accessibility changes. And like I was saying, you know, a fan now has access to you know, soon the entire Star Wars catalog where I had to wait for it to come out on VHS. I mean, I always think one reason why fans of the older generation of Star Wars films does the music so well is because we used to sit with a record and listen to it. And by listening to the music, we could then retell the story in our heads. And so we have a very deep connection to Johnny's music, besides the fact that it's it's so wonderful, it's it's all we have. And the toys. And the toys. Which and definitely so has affected the way we're... It. it has affected... It does feel like we're playing with... We get excited about it. I sat at the Star Wars but, toys when we go to work. Uh, yeah, I think the interesting thing is that they have, they'll have so much access in the future, fans, more than they've ever had before. You know, like Rebels has been off the air, you can't watch it unless you bought it a, a, a different uh, like DVD or something. But now you'll have accessibility to it of the moment as you watch something, if it crosses over or not. So that, that changes fandom. But one thing that I don't think changes is how much people love it. You know, and, and that's what we just have to keep finding ways to foster. And I think the only way to keep uh, up with that is being authentic. And as John said, being trying to get to the root and being authentic to the inspiration moment of Star Wars when we were all new fans, when there was no such thing as a Star Wars fan, ensures that you tell a story that connects with someone who's just walked in the door for the first time, but also... Think how much is in A New Hope if you did know that story. You would get a richness of the galaxy because we felt the history of a Senate that was dismissed, a Clone War that had been fought, Jedi Knights. We didn't know what that was. The Force. You know, when Luke asks about it, we all lean in. We want to know. And we have to keep honoring that moment because it's truly, I think, as exciting to a you know, 50-year-old fan as it is to a 10-year-old. When you do it right, it's just the trick is getting that formula right is very, very hard. Um, guys, you mentioned, uh, John, something about John Ford movies and John Wayne. And I want to talk about the soundscape. We were having a discussion here about the spurs we heard walking across the floor. And story-wise, John, you had, you had also mentioned the hero's journey. There, there are a lot of silences in the dialogue. There's a lot of pauses. And Dave, also with the soundscape itself, you hear references to some Western themes. You hear some more international-style music when he's walking, walking along. And just some of the pauses you guys are giving so in home theaters this thing's really going to sound great turned up but tell me about that aspect of it the silences in the story and the characters and then in, in the soundscape itself how it was designed well I, I think what is an interesting phenomenon I've noticed as I watch television and when I talk about television I'm talking about like television where you you can't wait to see it not when the TV's just on I mean appointment television that you you want to see it when right when everybody else does and then anticipation um, that is there's something about that anticipation and the relationship with what came before and the idea of another card being flipped over that is a very different experience than I feel in a film and I love film and I started in film and I love cinema and I hope to and, and there's nothing like the big screen and the communal experience of everybody coming together but there's also something very unique about a set of characters that you know well and you watch the next chapter of that story I notice when I'm in a movie no matter how good the movie is I, if I check my watch I'm like how much longer is this movie and I could be having the best time in the world I'm like boy this is a long movie or this is a you know am I halfway through 
And there's almost like you're rooting for the movie to end well, <laughs> as opposed to when I'm home watching an episode of Game of Thrones and I pause it and I check my timeline, I'm like, oh good, there's still, we're not only, we're only halfway done. So I don't know why I feel that way, but I think it has something to do with my acceptance of it, whereas with a film you're judging it as you go. With TV you've already developed that relationship and so um, that allows us to be a lot more, um, it affects the rhythm of how you tell a story. You also don't have to rush to resolve things because as long as you're keeping it interesting and exciting, you know you have the rest of the season, the next season, and part of what we talk about a lot is how does this whole thing resolve? What's the big arc? That we don't want to. It's not like network television where you hope to get picked up another season and then you just keep going until your ratings die off. Mm -hmm. It, this is something, where, or, or where, if you're lucky enough to, to, to create a finale because you're ready to move on and the cast is ready to move on. But the TV model generally is keep it going for as long as you can because that's the business model. But with us, we're talking about what is the arc and how does this arc end? And because it's Star Wars in this environment, we can start new stories and new characters. When this story wants to end, it can end. And we want to make sure we know exactly where those milestones are. So. I think that speaks to what you're talking about with the um, with with the pauses, the silence, and sometimes it's blisteringly fast too. So there is a rhythm, but the rhythm does not. We are not worried about being judged in the same way a film might. You don't feel like you're running out of road. No. To tell a dramatic. No, because you just right. end whenever that episode wants to end, and I know I could just you know uh, hit new right. on a final draft, and then now that, and here's the next one. So it's been very freeing and exciting yes. and wonderful for me. You want to talk about the music a little bit? Yeah, I, I think we we wanted to challenge and do some some different things in this different time period. It's another thing that George used to talk about always was inventing new, uh, going outside your comfort zone. Since we're dealing with a bunch of different characters, we thought that the, the soundscape uh, could be a bit different. I mean, Ludwig, what he provided with the music is just it blew our minds. It, it reminded me, you know, a long time ago, when I first started working with George, he would talk about wanting to give... Star Wars music, this even a more contemporary flavor, like he would talk about, you know, pop music or rap music, and I was like, what is, I was so new to us, what are you talking about? Like, uh, you know, young Padawan I was at the time, but now when I hear Ludwig's music, I'm like, oh, I think he meant this. Like, Ludwig finds a way to bring all these new instrumentations and tools and yet classic sensibility together, and I think it, it fits wonderfully with Star Wars, and then you know, with Sky Sound, they have a legacy back through Ben Burt. You know, Bonnie Wilde, who uh, mixed for us, she worked with me on Rebels. We have people that understand, and John and I love the soundscape as part of character. So the Spurs is a, is a character choice. Just the way yeah, that's what is that reference? Yeah, do you know. And to what extent? So yeah. if you know it, there's sound. Yeah. These sort of sounds are you know, nothing arbitrary. No. Yeah. There are rules, and so like we have to, it's all new for somebody new, and hopefully somebody's never seen it before could pop it on, get charmed, and we have to charm that person because they don't know what's anything. We gotta we gotta bring them in the door. But for the people who know it, every sound is a clue, every piece of equipment, every piece of wardrobe, every It gives a sense of history too and timelessness and it's it's that it's part of the used universe feel that I don't think people talk about enough. The people who focus on the visual but, you know, the Falcon at times sounds tired. It sounds like it's going to fall apart. 
know, the creatures have an authenticity to it. You can re read on and on about how Ben created languages and how hard it is to come up with stuff that actually sounds like a language when you're faking it. So uh, we just wanted all that gritty reality in it. And if you, you know, if you just had the sounds, it feels like you're there. And we have the time, like a Western will slow down, all that slowness, you know probably who's gonna win the gunfight, but boy, when the guns get drawn, it's exciting as hell yeah. still, so. We have time for oh, one no. We should let everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody yeah. get one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll stay for one more, yeah, we'll make sure. Um, just in this creating this new world, what's been the biggest challenge in creating this, and what's been the most freeing? That's a good question. Boy, I, 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 What's been freeing to me is him. <laughs> because I write, and I'm just, I just dump out my crayons, and if, I, if I'm excited, I can write fast. Because I've been thinking about this since they first announced they were going to be doing more Star Wars. So I've been thinking about this for, since 2012. Not this specific story, but the... Elements of what I had been thinking about in my head have been all incorporated into this. And so when I have that much churning in, and, and then when it finally comes time to do it, I generally just go on a tear. And then I let myself, it's, a very, it's, it's not a very disciplined thing. You're just, you're just saying, what do I want to see now? I feel like I'm the first person watching the show. And then this happens, and then that happens, and I have a basic idea of where it's going to go, but I let the characters kind of talk in the moments, kind of erupt. And then I show it to him. And then I say, okay, is this, you know, give, give me the, you know, the expert's eye of it, what I've been doing, and oftentimes he would be like, uh, that's probably not what that uh, species would do, or they're not this part in this time frame, or that tech is... That's not really Star Warsy. That's more Star Trekky. That's not. We just had that conversation yesterday. <laughs> Another desert planet. We're going there. Like just finding ways because I have a broader knowledge of like yes. what's been in play. Say I know why you want to do that, and a lot of other people. Let's do maybe think of it this way, and then John just goes off and comes up. Or we come up with, or, or we then wrestle it through to, yeah. and then we get excited about what story we yeah. can tell. But usually those shortcomings or uh, things limitations are things that lead to more innovative thought yeah. and then and then of course there's this tremendous thing that I've never had before it's just this wealth of knowledge online of people who've been curating different perspectives on all of the canon and legends and and so for me to be able to explore and be inspired by things for us to look at things together or he'll tell me oh this race had this ship in this episode of Clone Wars but it's never been in live action and here's the one it was and then he'll send me and we'll go back and forth and then as a writer that's I mean that's like it's like a, it's like a, a chef I've, I've learned so much from being around chefs it's like when a chef goes to a farmer's market or a farm and they see oh my god ramps are in season and then you then you just want to cook like, and that's what it feels like. It feels like it, it, it's like we shop for ingredients together. Then I cook, then he tastes, and he says, eh, this really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's not, you know. But you, when you it's right, it's right. It's right. It's you can't so call exciting. that ratatouille. It doesn't have then that we get, Then we get really jazzed. And then we yeah. just nerd out a lot. Yeah. But it's been great. And I don't know, I, don't, I wouldn't be doing this without him. This is, this, it's this relationship and, and what I learned from him, what he learns from me that really, and also both of, we're both students. We both love to learn. And so 
when he tells me something, I'm never like, you know, resisting it. I'm always digging deeper to understand more. And then when I tell him something, it's the same type of thing. So although we hand you back and forth what the relationship is, it's always uh, very enthusiastic and never out of frustration or feeling that we have to clear. There's no politics here. It's purely um, collaboration and, and, and excitement. And who didn't ask the question? Just oh, sorry. We'll, we'll get all of you. Um, so at Celebration Six, Dave, you gave a seminar on visual storytelling that was very informative. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've worked in live action, what else have you learned about that process? I, I, I don't know. I think in some ways it was really like to me applying a lot of what I learned, but but. Part of it is, to me, live action is an even more ultimate collaboration. The collaboration of the moment is so important. Like, I'd never worked with a DP uh, right there while making all the shots before. And so you might have something in mind that they're saying, I hear what you're saying, but the lighting for this moment is going to get that way better if we just line up here. All these little considerations and how you manage the time that you have uh, becomes important. And, and But that spontaneity and that creativity uh, of the moment and, and how comfortable the actor is. Are they hitting a point where they're tired? Are we going too far? You know, have they, you have to kind of measure it all, is what I think makes live action so real, authentic. And animation can be that too, but only the masters of animation can really get the idiosyncratic tiny things. Miyazaki's so brilliant at it, right? It's why his films, I think, feel different. Because he'll do tiny little toe twitches, just all these little things that nobody thinks of, and you don't realize in the depth of the background, all the reality and time, it's just passing by naturally. Um, but in animation, we have to think of it, we have to plan it. There's a lot of thinking and planning that's gone into live action, there's no doubt. But it's all gonna come into a moment that all, something might happen you like on one take and then you like something different on another take. That's, that's a different thing for me where I could combine those things into one ultimate take in animation. So, it's, but the collaborative process and learning to listen to the great talent you have around you, not just in front of the camera, but behind it, that was probably the biggest uh, step that I took. And knowing that everybody's there helping you create the best moment, you know. And, and starting with John, you know, where he'll read, you know, when I pitch him an idea, it's like I overload his computer. And he's just, I, I, I don't understand. It's too much. And, and, but, like, you can't get frustrated. You go, okay. Got it. And then he'll say simply, what's the thing you like the most about this story? And I'm like, good. And I'll go back and redo the whole thing because I'm like, that's really helping me carve into the idea. What am I trying to say here? I'm getting too excited, too distracted. Too many ingredients. Too many ingredients. And ultimately, I think like I've yielded some of the best stuff that I've done uh, through this process yes. for me creative. When I talked about being challenged and trying to hit another level. Um, I feel very strongly about that, but yeah, it's a it's a great collaboration, and it's it was a, a great step for me to take. So I've been really really thrilled with it, I, and I hope you will be too. I know the, I said no, these guys for like a decade there, and everything I do, so they're very watchful of what I'm doing here. Uh, two more. Um, so my question uh, is, I noticed that uh, you brought you know some of the stuff that you brought from the man. Uh, Iron Man and the Avengers and then Clone Wars. I noticed that you brought back the carbon freezing chamber. Uh -huh. And I, I I love the ode to the old technology. Yes. I'm wondering if we're gonna see more of that kind of moving towards the Star Wars. The I have Korea to get past uh, quality control here to make sure. <laughs> 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 
Perhaps I'm using it properly. That's interesting. You know, he's like, you know, carbon freezing wasn't used by all bounty hunters. It was experimental at the time, but this is a few years later. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it's... Yeah, it was a big debate. That was not, that was not an easy sell for no, me. No, I was like, no. what do you mean it's on his shit? This is something Vader came up that should be adequate to freeze Skywalker. What if he doesn't surprise freeze possible? I was like, ah, no. maybe. I don't know how many people know they even did that, but with a bounty hunter does. But that's the fun. That's like a Friday at work. Where we're doing it. But you really wanted it, and in the end, it was and the so right choice. So it was. It was yeah, it's how it's used, and and mm-hmm. and also how it fits in the time frame. Is it plausible? Mm-hmm. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it fun? Yeah. Is it cool? What does it reference obliquely to somebody who doesn't know it as deeply, and, and what does it pass muster from an expert who's going to be, uh, you know, making sure everything's just so? And so everything that's in there, it's a dialogue back and forth, and I and, and, and I'll never do something that he doesn't think I should, and he, you know, and and, and so we we have that. That's the and it works the other way too, though, because if there's something that like I'm very sold on because it's always been that way. I always have John say, but why? And then I think about it. And you know who else used to do that all the time was George. Because I would come at him with all these fan thoughts, and he would say, but, but why? why? Why does that have to be that way? We don't, that's never been said. I'm like, well, in the EU and all these books. He's like, yeah, but that's not, maybe that's not the best story. There's also fun watching him talk to George, because George will say something. He'll say, actually... <laughs> You said to me that there were this many of that and not that many in this year. And, and you're like, well, I don't need a hill. He'll accept it now, though. He's not, now that I'm he reject it. He, or he'll yeah. say, well, I was wrong. Or, but he'll never, he'll never, uh, he'll never uh, admit, he'll never accuse Dave of not yeah. referencing something correctly. He, 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 may, yeah. he may accuse uh, himself of not having answered the question properly at the right. time. Uh, so it's it's the interesting. Other. It's an interesting. He's a wise master that way. Yeah, it's an interesting. <laughs> interesting dynamic. So speaking of quality control, so much rich comedy from you. Mm-hmm. How's it been bringing it into the Star Wars world? We saw a little bit of. I think it's a it's a perfect fit. You know, I I gotta say, and I don't know if I ever told you this, but the first time I ever saw Iron Man, I thought, wow, that has a great feeling like Star Wars to me because it was combining a lot of fun moments, a lot of adventure, action comedy with an incredible sense of I care about this and it could still get dramatic. You know, it wasn't at the expense of the meaningful nature of the characters or the relationships. And so that's something I've always thought, John. You know, there was there was one time, remember this at Skywalker, I ran into you when you were up there for something, I don't know what you're mixing, and it was after Disney had come on, I said, John, you were making so much of this Star Wars stuff, you gotta get involved. Because I've always felt that he was really, really good with his tone for Star Wars. And and Star Wars needs fun. It needs comedy. That's something it needs. I think we came up with Star Wars as our that was our that's what we learned on. That's that's for Iron you know, Man. and I, it, for my whole generation. You know, oh, you're, 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 you look at JJ's yeah. stuff, even on Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. De- you could tell that he loved Star Wars. And anytime yeah. he talked to JJ, long before he ever did Star Wars, he yeah. knew and loved Star Wars. So I think a lot of when we get our sense of tone or adventure or what we like to see in a movie, we're emulating the things that we that we were formed around. So. I think that com- comes up, but I also have a background in comedy, and what's nice about working with other people who have that background is it's fun because 
sometimes you get better punchlines than George may have pulled. <laughs> there were a few times when, when uh, you know, uh, but George was always bringing humor into it always. and always remembering that there are, uh, you know, there's some people who are serious about it, but then there's some people who might be interested. I loved R2-D2. Like, that's, I was always, I always had my eye on R2-D2. Or when Yoda popped up. I had my eye on Yoda. Uh, so there's, oh, and even now with BB-8, and uh, the, the, so there's always like K2 this. K2 had great and comedy. K2, and K2 had great comedy. There's uh, uh, right? Yeah, the Tudyk, right? So yeah. he's great. So, and, um, and Phoebe also. And it's so. natural in the scenes, too. That's what's great. And it's usually situational to the moment. And it just, in, in some ways, too, I thought, well, well, Han Solo, right? He always could diffuse the situation. For the viewers that maybe might not have been on board, he was the cynic that let them go, like, okay, so that is ridiculous, but I'm, now I'm along for the ride. You but know? Dave's also very clear about there's certain types of humor that has been in Star Wars and there's certain types of, if if we're making fun of Star Wars, yeah, right. it's not we're stepping of outside yeah. of it. So there's... Uh, there, we have rules that we adhere to, so I'm not just allowed to be uh, animal on the drums. There are checks and balances here. Electric but, but my sense is I want to make it Star Wars. Like That's why I'm doing it. I'm yeah. not doing it to comment on Star Wars. I'm doing Star Wars, and what's the humor that would come out of those action sequences that keep that maintain tone? So that's and having a good cast that's going to be Yeah. Good. And then you're golden. Yes. But everybody's working on it, loves Star Wars, so they're not trying to change. They're not here like yeah. they're, they're here trying to add to another, and, and because it's episodes of the show, yeah, we're being part of, of a big, a big tapestry. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you very so much. Yeah. Yeah. Should we just start? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so my question was basically, what was it like working with Dave Filoni, who you know is kind of the more you know known in the Star Wars universe, but not as well known in other things? What was it, what were your reactions to working with Dave Filoni? Rove, go ahead. Oh well, so I I didn't really know who Dave Filoni was to this world because I. I I was always, a, I, I can't say really I was a fan, I just enjoyed the movies, the Star Wars movies, but um, I've really learned what a genuine fan is of Star Wars, and that you guys are your own stars, <laughs> in my opinion, you guys are the stars of um, Star Wars, because you literally just, from what you guys do, have made things happen, like I, I feel like the Mandalorians happened because of you, um, and so Dave Filoni has been one of your one of you, one of your biggest um, voices, and so I didn't know that coming in, and so Dave was just like this cool cat on uh, on set. He'd come up and he's like, "Hey, let me tell you how to use you know this, and that's what this does." And, I, and then I was like, "Oh, this is the guy you go to." <laughs> like I learned that quickly, and so I'd come up with all these annoying questions, and he's like, "It's okay," and he would make me laugh, and I was like, "Gosh, that Dave guy is really cool." Well, it wasn't until like halfway through, I'm like, oh my gosh, Dave's a superstar. <laughs> like, Dave's the guy. And then just knowing, I just love that I didn't know him. And then when I got to know him, I was like, dude, this guy is like solid. He's so genuine, down to earth, passionate. And um, it's really cool to see everything that's happening in his career now. It is. It's very unique because of his, his genuineness. He's a good guy. Because everyone else is so disingenuous. Oh. <laughs> but you don't get you. you don't get the, you, you're talking about me. Well, Everything's about me. The, the funny thing is, like he, he's, he's he's I think that he's um, very uh, self-deprecating in that he's so um, 
he has d d developed all of his storytelling within the medium of animation, incredible animation. And so the newness of live action to him, um, he's, he's, very, he's very humble to it, but he's also extremely open. And so there's no, um, he has no agenda. It's a, such a completely collaborative experience. And it's true, you don't get that that often. You don't, you don't get that kind of, um, you know, first floor, you don't get that first floor experience, you know, especially with something that is as established as the Star Wars universe. So to have somebody who is, who is um, as, as excited about it as, as, as you are and as the fans are, and as anyone who really um, wants a good story is, makes it makes for a really really genuine unique unique experience you know he's such a good guy and he loves wolves and he likes hockey he loves hockey yeah. and he has a great head of hair but he won't take off that hat <laughs> it's so crazy I just assumed he was he loves, bald he loves his cowboy hat his hat yeah, yeah, man. He's, he picks his hats based on the project he's working on oh does oh, he oh there you go you know a lot then you ask us questions you know my experience with Dave was somewhat like Gina's because I, I mean, I didn't know the background players really, you know, in this whole universe very well. I mean, everybody, everybody knows who George Lucas is. Yeah. Uh, and George is actually a very nice man, a really nice man who's very low-key. I mean, it's amazing, you know, when you're around him for any bit of time, he listens a lot. He doesn't say a hell of a lot, but he listens a lot, clearly. But Dave is very much the same way, you know. However, when you ask Dave a question, Dave can give you an answer that really can fulfill beyond what you asked him because he knows the material so well and, and Gina has used this word a lot about passion. Dave is quietly passionate about this whole thing. You know? And when, I, when I'm, I'm around both he and John and get a chance to kind of hear the conversations and be a fly on the wall with their conversations, I'm telling you, they could spin off into the outer rim with their conversations about the Star Wars universe and about the lore and about the mythology and about what George intended and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, it's like, I just sit there. And, and it's, the other thing about this is, and I mean this sincerely, maybe it's a function of getting older and realizing how little you know, but I found on this project... I've found that I'm so interested when I go there during the day in what I'm going to learn. That's how big my ego was. And because of this group, how less of it I take to the table. And it's a really, you know, you used the word liberating earlier. It's a really liberating experience when you have so many smart, talented, collaborative, good-hearted, caring people around you on a daily basis. And what proves it for me is, one day we were in a meeting, and I, I was, I've been in prep stage for the episode that I'm going to do, and I'd asked John a question about story, and we were trying to figure it out, and the thing about John is, John will listen to you 
and he's got his notepad and he's writing down and he won't just spew out an answer to get you know to shut you off because he's really listening he's waiting until you finish before he responds so we go through that meeting and he's writing down stuff and he goes okay let me think about this you know I know this and this and this and this but let me walk away and think about this and so we come back and we're in a meeting with a group of people there all, all the craft people and, and creative people involved in post production production and pre-vis and all that and John says to me Say so we don't have to know all the answers. Somebody here will come up with the answers. These are really smart people. I'll be damned by the end of the meeting, we had the answer. And the answer was better than anything I had thought I could get to and better than anything John had come up with. And I found that experience to be so consistent time and time and time again. So for me, it's one of the most exciting projects as a result of just that. There is so much that you get a chance to learn and what you learn a lot about yourself is, let me just listen and see what happens here. Somebody's going to come up with something that's really brilliant. And, and I've said this a million times. Uh, I don't have to be the sharpest tool, you know, in that box. But I can take credit for it when I'm directing. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else is <laughs> you know, They come up with the answer. I'll take credit for it. It's okay. <laughs> So for this uh, season one, you have a diverse slate of directors. Do you guys want to talk about what some of the other directors have brought to the series? Um, so I got to work with, um, I, can I, I don't know what, okay, I, I definitely all the, got to, so all the season one directors. All the season one directors. Okay, so I mean, I really loved working with Bryce. No, you're not supposed to. <laughs> Of what you can talk about. No, that was on Star so, okay, okay. so I worked with Bryce, but um, from the beginning, Bryce was kind of helping me with the costume. And so it's really like, you know, to take a curvier woman and put her in something that's almost like a football uniform, it's like you can lose your femininity real quick and you can lose your body in that. And, you, you know, of course you want to you love what you're wearing, right? So from the beginning, she was like, no, no, no. <laughs> She's like, let's go back there. You know, this is what we're going to do with the outfit. This will help this area. This will help. And so what could have been originally a box frame ended up being this great, you know, um, hourglass shape. And um, that meant a lot to me because, of course, I want to be a Mack truck and be able to mow anybody over. Like, I do that naturally, but I also... Yes, you do. <laughs> I also want to, like, I also want to, you know, be who I am. And I want to bring that to her character as well and show... Um, a strong woman, um, so that was really key from the beginning of creating her costume and then putting it on every day. Like I enjoyed wearing it. I enjoyed putting on that costume so much. Like I can't, I, I can't get enough of it. Um, what was the emphasis on? I really loved it. What it did, did anybody else like what putting on their costume? <laughs> well, we also liked seeing you in your costume. Oh, okay, so you guys you. made the right choices. Thank you. Definitely did. But then, like working with all of the directors, it's been really cool. I mean, to see Deb Chow, um, like yeah. that is insane. Yeah. Like she's going to be doing what she's doing. Um, and then you know, Taika. Taika. <laughs> he is Dave's first. And Dave's written them yeah. alongside uh, John, but it's his yeah. first foray into directing live action. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And he was fantastic too, you know, because. You know, you're working with somebody who's first-time director, and 
I mean, everybody has a learning curve. And so if you've been around long enough, you can see the difference in somebody who's really well seasoned, you know. But Dave was, I mean, first of all, John's there so he can rely on him. But Dave was fantastic. And, and again, you just could learn so much from him, you know. So watching him as a director and watching him as a director who'd been, in, in, you know, immersed in animation and telling stories that way and who's been a part of the Star Wars brand for so long, you know, you just saw him gain confidence daily with what he was doing, but also at the end of the day, the episode turns out really good. So, you know, we're, we're fortunate. We're really fortunate that we had a group of directors, I think, who all brought something really special to the table. And Deborah, in particular, I just thought was pretty amazing because, man, it was huge stuff she was doing. And Taika had his kind of wild sense of humor and playing oh, yeah. wacky music. <laughs> he he played, he played music during the scenes, which, like, it's it some fun vibe. And then he would show up in pajamas sometimes. I mean, it was like, great. Little slippers. <laughs> Wait, how about the couch? Yeah, and he had a couch. Yeah, we're like rice yes, with the like, box. I'm just like, like Taika would sit like sprawled out on a couch in yeah. pajamas, and so it was yeah. really. And it's really fun at the end of each episode. You you really look forward to kind of unwrapping. Oh gosh, who who did that? Who directed that? And like when you see it, then you can kind of look back to that person. And you're like, oh, I see it. I feel that energy of that person in there. So it's cool. Um, as, how are you saying? as far as diversity goes, this is the most diverse cast within the um, the stars' roles. So what's that been like for you? And what do you hope that, that people watching take from that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll chime in on this one because first and foremost, it's so refreshing. You know, I, I, I remarked earlier about the, the, the one scene I remember from the original Star Wars where, you know, in the cantina and, and the guy yells out, we don't like your kind in here. And I mean, it was every, every different looking creature, person, thing in there and then you yell at it. Someone we don't like your kind in here. What kind are you talking about? You know, so the irony of that. And in this world, every kind is walking through this place. And they all have a very, very, they're all an integral part of this world, this universe. And they add so much color, you know. So for me, something as simple as casting background, I want to see a really Diverse, And when I say diverse, I'm not just talking about the color of a person's skin. I want to see height. I want to see somebody who's got an M limb missing. I want to see an albino. I want to see small people. I want to see children. I, I mean, I want to see anything that we have experienced in the world to be in that universe. Because they're disparate creatures coming from every part of the universe. So why wouldn't they be there? Why would it be this kind of homogenized world? That to me isn't Star Wars at all. And that's what I find fascinating and great about it. Sorry guys, we're gonna have to cut it. Jeez, I put a button on that, didn't I? (laughs) One more question. One more, there you go. Go ahead. Okay, um, so I'm from the Mandel Merch Costume Club, so I wanted to ask, ask you guys, Pedro, you said it was a super pinch me moment when you put on that helmet. Were you surprised by how complex the costumes were, the Mandalorian armor, and how difficult it is to wear it? I wasn't surprised, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 if, if 
you know, nothing that looks that good <laughs> is going to be is easy. And, 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 and it is humbling to remember to really respect like the artwork that goes into building this world you know we talk about that we talk about the characters and the filmmakers and and but of course you you all know better than anybody the the the, the departments involved in, in, in making the whole the whole piece I mean to me they are the biggest stars really um, the people that work on every single detail of our costumes of the sets the special effects um, the lighting and, and, and all of it so that you you just have to surrender you have to so surrender to that and remind your body every hour to you know different ways of how to cope you know because because there is there you know the the, 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 the language of the character is strictly physical at, at this point and, and and so negotiating you know his story with how you know with with all of the pieces um, is, is 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 his story essentially and and that's that's new to me and um, and, and and it's cool but it's very challenging I just kind of I'm burning calories right now I'm burning calories <laughs> My spine is crunching. My spine. Is okay. There's only three more. We'll, we'll make it quick. You guys just gonna answer quick then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's us. Thank yeah. you. Not at all. No. I'll try to keep this very brief. Thank you for talking about your costumes because, as actors, that's the last piece. It's gonna ground you into a scene, and we've heard a lot about that. And look forward to seeing how that evolves. With that, sir, let me tell it over to you. As an iconic American actor who's been part of some amazing franchises, how do you feel just personally? About or has anyone in your family talked to you about now you're part of this franchise on a brand new modern platform and a whole new generation of people are going to discover you and they're going to go back and see who you really are. How do you feel about that just as a, as a personal matter being part of this great franchise? Well, I, I, no, I haven't talked to anybody in my family about it, but I'm acutely aware after, after almost 50 years of doing this as a professional actor, being paid for the first one I ever... Yeah, that does cause you to cough. <laughs> Causes me to cough sometimes, too. Um, Well-timed. Yeah. Um, but I'm really acutely aware of it, because I've had really good fortune, and at times uh, when things appear to be tough, they're not really. It's just, you know... It's not the time for the thing you want to do and where you're looking to go with a career. And I was pretty conscious of where I wanted to go. Now, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but I knew where I wanted to go. And so there was a lot of stuff I wouldn't do because that didn't seem to fit into where I wanted to go. But as this has come along, as in every decade, I've managed to sort of meet up with the right project at the right time. And it's kept me alive and it's kept me in front of a new audience and kept me uh, sort of uh, in touch with a new demographic. And so, you know, in the 1970s, when there were kids who all these years later have their own kids, uh, I am uh, creating, in collaboration with these folks and all of our cast and crew and, and, and the creators, a whole nother character 
that they can say, oh, wow, that's that guy, you know? Uh, so being aware of that is number one. But also, there's something in terms of a career, you know, an arc in a career that early on I realized, you know, was important. And what I wanted to do was have longevity. That to me was a thing, you know, and what can I do to create, ensure, to deliver in terms of longevity and be a Burt Lancaster, be a Sidney Poitier, be a, uh, a Dan Durier, be a, an Audie Murphy, be some of those people, you know, uh, and so many others. Um, so, you know, looking at Harry Belafonte today and when he began, I mean, people don't know sometimes how much this man has contributed to the entertainment industry and to our lives. And so to me, that, that consciousness of that, you know, is the thing. And I'm really mindful of it all the time. Adds to the fun for you. As to what? Adds to the fun of it. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? I, I mean, I've got something new I can learn and something new I can somehow contribute and something new I can uh, appear to be. And, you know, again, keep people entertained and say, wow, I didn't know you could do that. You know, and he shares can it. we have more? He you know? shares it with us. Yeah. He gives yeah. lots well, of good we're all sharing. We wish you guys as long and storied as a, of a career. Well, let's hope there's some more. Yeah. <laughs> some years to come. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's not showing here. Yeah. yeah. All right, next question. Uh, speaking of the fun, we saw your video when they were rolling out the toys a few weeks ago. You guys were having a blast. So, looking back to April in Chicago, what's it like walking into this big universe with all these crazy fans? It looked like you're having a lot of fun. I mean... We were acting. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still acting, yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I kind cool. of came out of the... Uh, I've been, you know, my career has been like this. It feels like I, like the second you get traction, you get like, you know, it's been all over the place. But I think with this job, um, I feel like I'm finally on the right path. I feel like I'm following my heart. And as soon as I decided to start taking myself more seriously as an actor, this job, like the phone rang ten minutes later. It's almost that close how that happened. And um, and then the reception. I feel like with fans, like. I feel like people who are passionate about something, um, if you want to share that with them, then I feel, and you're genuine with people, I feel like that's received. So I might not know everything I need to know about Star Wars in order to, to be on everybody's level, but I'm willing to learn, and I feel like um, you guys are all willing to share, and, and like willing to, it's not that, I feel like you want more people to be a part of this incredible story. You just want to keep the the bar high so that when people come into this universe you know, it's the most welcoming experience <laughs> it ever really has it's been you really know, positive it feels like being part of the every, you, every single project that you get involved in you know, you're becoming a part of the family this is the this is the most um, invited into a family I've ever felt yes, yes. Yeah, you know it is an energy it is an exchange of energy it hit me like the, you know, the back of a jet in Chicago really. yeah. you know, that was my first sort of we like visceral there. realization oh, wow. I don't think we were I wasn't prepared in. for that <laughs> and it was I. I was like, wow, that's I, it. That's what the Star Wars world is. The crazy thing, though, is I've experienced that with other projects, but nothing was like that. Yeah. That was surprising to me, you know? Some energy right So there. it just gave me, I was going to say, it gave me this huge shot of energy because you, then you realize, oh, wait a minute, we really are in this thing, you know? And it helps you do the job. We filmed it. Oh, you can raise it now. We're <laughs> 
we're it, solid. It, it, it helps you. It helps you do the job. It, 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 it's a component that you didn't, you, you, especially with Star Wars, because it can be very intimidating, and it is a, a visual effects experience and an art department experience. And so then, as a cast member, and for the, that that kind of support to sort of lift you into it. Is, is such an essential component, more so than anything I've ever done. Thank you. Last question. Um, with uh, your characters, approaching your characters, was there ever a danger you felt, especially with people like Dave Filoni around, where there's so much history in this universe that maybe you felt like you could get lost in that history as you were putting your character together, or what, what was that balance that you struck in, in finding your character, knowing the history, that you needed to, and then performing that. Well, I get to get away with all the mystery. It's as much of a mystery to me as it is to the audience. And my justification, which I practically discovered to talking about it today, not really. I'm a very, I'm a very, I'm a very prepared actor. But you know, the, you know, the. Sometimes, this is going to sound corny, but sometimes we're very much a mystery to ourselves, our own identity. And, 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 and the discovery, the, 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 to discover what you're capable of um, uh, or, or what your destiny is or whether you will live for yourself or whether you will live for others is very much part of Filoni's and Favreau's, um, you know, uh, a vision of this story that is very much built on what George Lucas introduced to to all of us. So in getting into all of the um, details of the history, that's that's Dave's, that's their job. It's not ours. And I right? yeah. Well I really liked how something that sounds when you read when I you when you read the script I'm like, what in the heck does have this name? How is it gonna come out of my mouth yeah. <laughs> in an understanding way? But like um, what they're really good at, I think John's kind of an emotional genius because he placed me in this character because he wanted me to play this character. And um, he, he is really smart in looking to who somebody is. Not, okay, she plays the badass, but she's also got a vulnerability about her. She's also got this. And he's going to sit there and incorporate it into the story and use these little things where instead of just standing there and being the badass, oh, wait, you're kind of the badass, but you're also this. And and um, I just think it was it's nice that they're this like they talk on such a genius level but they're able to communi- communicate to me like I understand what he was he says I understand what things mean after they explain it and um, and the doors are always open you know like okay Dave is like an open door hey ask me anything like anything you need to understand and it's that kind yes, of set they both are I guess I've got one last thing which is kind of funny because it relates to this you know, we all go into this stuff, and you guys are super serious about this, you know, about the world and the universe and, and the lore and the mythology and all that. So I was going through the script that's coming up, and, uh, you know, I mean, I've read, good Lord, I know I've read it at least two dozen times now. But uh, I would have these questions, and finally I got, there was this one thing I kept forgetting to get addressed. It was just a line that a character says. And finally, I got John. I got to John, and I said, "Oh yeah, but you know, there's this one line because I'd ask several people to ask John, and nobody had actually finally gotten an answer. So finally, I asked John. So what does it mean when he says this? 
And I'm thinking, man, this has to relate to some character, something somebody said in Star Wars here, somebody. John says to me, oh, I just made that up. <laughs> Which is what Dave would say, George would say. Yeah. Oh, wait. But it was so perfect because it made sense that this was something special. <laughs> but it wasn't special at all. He just said, oh, I just made that up. Yeah. Okay, that's creativity. Yeah. That's what you do. It's all made up. But people buy into it and it becomes this thing. So, so something is holding a blaster. Brilliant, like, brilliant. How, yeah. how did they come brilliant up with holding the blaster like that? And yeah. and Dave asked George, and then George was like, oh, that's just, it, oh, okay, that works, go ahead, that's yeah. good. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, how did I Listening to Coffee with Kenobi, you are the podcast you're looking for. This is. <laughs> Wow. How about that, everybody? What an incredible show. Again, thanks to Bill Thill for going down to cover this event for us. It was an incredible experience. I got to talk with him on the phone about this for quite a bit. And boy, he was in awe of the footage and awe of the cast and crew. He had a wonderful time, and I hope you did too, enjoying this week's Coffee with Kenobi. As we're closing out the show, I want to thank our CWK sponsors, Penguin Random House Audio, MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, and One Nation Coffee. Please support them the way they support our podcast. And remember to listen to new and archived shows of Coffee with Kenobi wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, CastBox, Deezer, and our website, www.coffeewithkenobi.com, wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite shows. And if you listen to the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. You can also find us on social media. In fact, Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, give us a like on Facebook, and check us out on Pinterest. We'd love you to check us out in all those places. Be sure to listen to our CWK family of shows too, including Legends Library, Resistance Reactions, Comics with Kenobi, and Lattes with Leia. Please leave a review for each of their shows as well, and be sure to subscribe to each of them individually on their own respective feeds. In addition to the places I just mentioned for coffee with Kenobi, you can find me twice a month on the podcast Looking at Lucasfilm part of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, and you can find me personally on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R, and you can find my writing on CWK's website, as well as StarWars.com, where I'm an official blogger there, and on IGN, where I recently contributed an article on finding balance in the Force and what that actually means. Great fun to write. Please let me know your thoughts on it. It is something that I think is worth discussing on a future show, and of course, we talked about it at the Indie Disney Meet with Tom Gross and Lou Mangello. Don't forget to check out www.patreon.com slash coffee with Kenobi to support our podcast and help us keep the lights on. Our Patreon page is where you can listen to our exclusive weekly podcast, CWK Pour Over, hosted by me, CWK Newsman Tom Gross, and Coffee with Kenobi co-founder Corey Club for just $5 a month. There are also options for behind-the-scenes videos, photos, t-shirts, and more. Plus, 10% of your monthly contributions go directly to the St. Jude Children's Hospital each month. Thank you to all of you currently supporting us on Patreon, and thank you for considering becoming a member of our Coffee with Kenobi Patreon family. We've got an email from Gar Van Orden I've been wanting to get to, and Gar writes, Lucas felt there was nothing new about The Force Awakens directed by J.J. Abrams. In each of the films in the original trilogy, it was important to Lucas to present new worlds, new stories, new characters, and new technologies. In this one, he said... There weren't enough visuals or technical leaps forward, according to Bob Iker. 
So who was right, Bob Iger or George Lucas? Both. Iger was right in that The Force Awakens became the most successful film of all time. Lucas was right in that it would have been a better, more creative, interesting film if it weren't so derivative. The Force Awakens is my least favorite film, still his 10th favorite movie overall, I add parenthetically. Carl goes on to say, it's the only one that gave me a twinge of disappointment when I first saw it. But there's still a lot to love about it. So based on that, I'd have to side with Lucas when it comes to that film. The very next year, they came out with the best Star Wars movie, Rogue One, which is an idea that Lucas rejected. I really love The Last Jedi and Solo 2. And if Lucas were still in charge, we'd only be getting a movie every three years, at most. And we wouldn't have Galaxy's Edge, and we wouldn't be getting three live-action TV shows. And it's not like they aren't listening to the fans. They're bringing the Clone Wars back. So in conclusion, yes, Lucas was ultimately right that The Force Awakens was too derivative. But that doesn't mean that everything Disney did is terrible. In fact, in general, it's much better that Disney owns Lucasfilm now. Thanks for reading, and thanks for a great show each week. Thanks. Again, that's Gar Van Orden. Well, Gar, thank you so much for email and your support over the years. It was really cool to get a chance to catch up with you, albeit briefly, at Celebration Chicago after the media panel that we did. That was really, really cool. And I agree, we really haven't talked a lot about Iger's book on this. I read the chapter, I read it all, but I, the chapter on Lucas who I'm purchasing that I thought was fascinating. Certainly something to explore. Maybe on a future pour-over. It makes sense to me that that will be hard for him to let go of this universe and these characters. And then he has ownership with them. I mean, how could he not? He spent most of his adult life on them, and they brought him so many wonderful things and opportunities. So I get that, but it's also a business too, and I think that they both really seem to be at peace with each other. I've seen them in person together. I've been very fortunate to see that. And there seems to be nothing but mutual respect and admiration, and that passes the eye test for me, and that makes me feel a lot better. So Gar, thanks again for your awesome email. Thank you again to our guests on this week's Coffee with Kenobi, John Favreau, the writer-creator of The Mandalorian, Dave Filoni, of course, Pedro Pascal, who plays The Mandalorian, Gina Carano, who plays Cara Dune, Carl Weathers, who plays Grief Garga, and Bill Thill for covering this event for us. I also want to thank each and every one of you for listening to and joining me today and each week for a cup of coffee. It's so wonderful that you're taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me and break down the Star Wars saga. It is wonderful. I am thrilled to discuss this mythology, and I can't think of better people to discuss it with than each and every one of you. Next week is one of the most, if not the most exciting interview I have ever done. I'm not allowed to say anything about it, but trust me, friends, when you hear it, you are going to smile the entire time. Until next time, everybody, be sure to subscribe to Disney Plus so we can all talk about The Mandalorian. Gosh, two weeks away, it is amazing. Have a great week, everybody. This is the podcast you're looking for. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coffee with Kenobi unless otherwise indicated. This is the podcast you're looking for. There's no one here. Looking to catch up on the latest Star Wars books? Try listening to them on audio, featuring sound effects and music directly from the movies. Star Wars audiobooks are the definitive listening experience. From brand new audiobooks such as Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire, and Star Wars Myths and Fables, to our blockbuster movie tie-in editions, you'll have plenty to keep you entertained. Start listening wherever audiobooks are sold.